Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 162 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Monday evening, June 24th, 2019. We haven't spoken with you in a little over a month, so it's nice to be back. I'm Sam Klein, of course. I am coming to you uh, for the second time from Seattle, Washington, way up in the Pacific Northwest. I am joined as usual by Jason Evans in Atlanta, who just celebrated his anniversary this weekend. Right, Jason? I did. I did. It was a, a delightful time. My wife and I have been married for 28 years. Wrap your head wow. around that. Wow. For, for reference, I was born 30 years ago. So. <laughs> you could almost be my child. Almost. Well... That's, we won't get into that. That's terrifying. We, we normally we we are usually joined by our friend Donald Wine in Washington D.C. But Donald is overseas. Actually, I think we have we have some audio of Donald, so he is going to tell you where he is. Jason, Sam, how's it going, guys? I am here in Paris, France, uh, for the Women's World Cup. I've been here for two weeks, and I will be in France for another two and a half all the way through the final, which is in Lyon on July 7th. Hopefully, the women's national team will be there. I am here to follow the team around uh, all the way through the tournament, so that is why I am coming to you in pre-recorded form. I am six hours ahead of Jason, who's on the East Coast, and when Sam is in Seattle, I'm nine hours ahead of him. So that means that we can't really record because it'll be at a time where one of us is going to be uh, in the middle of the night, like three in the morning. So uh, I'm glad we were able to do this, and I'm sorry I, I can't be on there live with you uh, while you guys record, but I'm happy to answer all the questions about the NBA draft. I can't wait to talk about it. All right, so... Donald is, uh, as you guys heard, Donald's in France for, it seems like he's been there for a long time. So he recorded, just for, for everybody's clarity, we're doing the show on Monday night. Donald recorded his answers on what was Saturday morning French time, so Friday evening in the Ooh United la la. States. That's right. <laughs> um, perhaps la. perhaps over a, a croissant. Um, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is. All right, we are... <laughs> We are treading into we are treading into uncomfortable territory here. Uh, we are, so, yes. so we will. What we're going to do here is uh, I queued up a bunch of questions to Donald a few days ago that he could answer. And so, what we're going to do is is let Donald roll with the answers that he has pre-recorded, and we will go ahead and react to them and give our own take. So, we will get all into the draft coverage of the draft last week. But before we do that, we're all course, about the draft. We're we, all about yeah, the draft. Today is, is today draft is going to be all draft. Uh, but first, of course, we have to thank our sponsors. As usual, it is Bird Campbell. It has been Bird Campbell for a long time. Bird Campbell is the law firm run by Duke alums that operates in Texas and Florida. So for any of your business legal needs, contact Bird Campbell at B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. Bird Campbell means business. So we will jump right in. And I didn't want to start with Zion Williamson because, of course, everyone knows that Zion Williamson was going to go number one to the Pelicans. It wasn't exciting. I think by the time Wait, the draft what? rolled around. Zion, Zion went number one. I'm shocked. Do we have to? I, don't, is... I know that I know that normally we, we, we recap the news. So why don't we? Or sure. Let's do that. Zion Williamson went number one to the Pelicans. I think everyone knows. R.J. Yes. Barrett went number three to the Knicks. I think there was a little bit of talk leading up to the draft about R.J. Barrett going, you know, that the Grizzlies were probably taking John Morant. 
RJ Barrett was probably going to the Knicks at number three, but it wasn't entirely, it wasn't a hundred percent locked in, but RJ Barrett made some comments about how he only there wanted was, to work out for the Knicks. So, right. He was, he was all about the Knicks. There was all this disinformation out there, all this uh, sneakiness by NBA teams where there was this talk that Darius Garland might, that the Knicks might be interested in, in the point guard Darius Garland more than RJ Barrett. It turned out to be a smoke screen. And, and there was a, a bit of time there where during that smokescreen, it seemed like there was a chance that R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson could be teammates in New Orleans, but that didn't end up panning out. The Pelicans traded their draft pick, um, or the Pelicans got a draft pick for, for Anthony Davis, right? From um, the Lakers, and, from and then the they Lakers. dealt it to the Hawks. The and then Hawks they dealt it to the Kings. Hawks. Hawks paid them a King's ransom for that draft pick, but the Hawks had a King's ransom worth of assets to trade. So it's not a big deal. And that leads us to Duke's third draft pick of the night, which was Cam Reddish at number 10 going to the Hawks, which I think may have been a little lower than, than was projected. Although we'll get into that, of course. And then uh, after the draft wrapped up, uh, Marquise Bolden, who I don't think the last time we talked, we uh, had officially known that Marquise Bolden was staying in the draft. And uh, we knew that Javon Delorier was coming back, but Bolden was still, working out for teams. He ultimately decided to stay in. We can talk a bit about if that made the most sense for him, but he ends up uh, on an undrafted free agent contract with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So he'll be playing for them in summer league and, and we'll, we'll wrap that up as well. But I do want to start actually with RJ Barrett. Um, We'll, we'll come back to Zion Williamson. I want to come back to, to start with RJ Barrett because I think that he is the Duke player in this draft that has sort of the most uh, has, has the most like different versions of his future that I think could play out. So I wanted to ask um, Donald first, what did you think about RJ Barrett um, really wanting all out for the Knicks and, and being so excited about being in New York? And, and again, just to remind the listeners, all these answers from Donald have been pre-recorded, so we don't get to interrupt him, and he doesn't get to interrupt us, at least on this episode. So, Donald from France three days ago, take it away with your R.J. Barrett analysis. So, R.J. Barrett going to the Knicks is an interesting scenario because the Knicks organization is just awful. Uh, the ownership is terrible, the front office has traditionally been bad, and free agents just don't want to go there. And, and for it being the biggest city, the number one TV market, and a chance to be a bona fide star in the entire country, not just New York City, people are not going there anyway. The, and now with the Nets coming up and, and emerging as kind of a, a contender, uh, people don't have to go to the Knicks to be in New York City. They can go to Brooklyn. And so when RJ decided he was going all in to become a Nick. I think that was an interesting combination because he likes that. He he's, it tells me he wants to embrace that bright lights in big city and embrace the challenge of turning around one of the NBA's uh, you know premier franchises or supposed to be because they're in New York City in the Knicks. He wants to turn that team around and he wants to bring them and make them a winner again. And if he can do that, he'll be loved for life in America in in New York City especially. Because the Knicks are, you know, still very important to the league. The success of the Knicks is very important to the league. That's why they're in Christmas every year. That's why they're one of the, you know, on national TV all the time, even when they're bad. So if he can turn that team around and he can succeed in that organization, which I think he can, then he is really setting himself up for a lifetime of opportunities because 
the, you know, the Knicks fan base will thank him if he can turn them around. They were excited to have him. I think he's excited to be there, and we'll see what he can do in Madison Square Garden. But there's nothing like you know being uh, part of that organization and succeeding. No one has done it in a long time. If RJ can make that happen, RJ is going to be a Hall of Famer. So I can't believe that Donald went out there enough to say RJ is going to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, that's 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 big. Like usually when you're look, talking about a guy, if you're really high on him, you're like, this dude's going to be an all-star someday. Hall of Famer. That was Donald's. If, if, if RJ can turn around the Knicks, he's a Hall of Famer. And you know what, uh, Sam, I don't disagree with Donald's take. If if RJ if the Knicks get to be good and RJ Barrett is a major reason why he will probably someday be a Hall of Famer because that organization is so much in the toilet it's it's they are so messed up but I, I like Donald said I love the fact that RJ is embracing the challenge of turning the Knicks around and um and I think one of the nice things for RJ is uh, there are a lot of situations where he could have gone um, where I'm not sure he would have gotten to be the alpha male on day one. Um, where he would have had to, you know, sort of suppress himself a little bit to to other players who are more experienced. Um, I, I'm I'm going to go out there with a prediction right now that R.J. Barrett will be the NBA Rookie of the Year because when people pick Rookie of the Year, lots of time they look at scoring, and R.J. Barrett is going to get a lot of chances on this horrible Knicks team. He's going to get a lot of chances to score, even though the Knicks may sign some good free agents. I still think R.J. is going to get a ton of chances to score. Um, and I think RJ is a stud scorer and I think he's going to be rookie of the year because he's going to, I won't be surprised if RJ averages 18, maybe 20 points a game this year for the Knicks. I think that the, I mentioned earlier that I think that the Barrett selection is the most interesting. And the reason that I wanted to start with it is because of that. There is a world, I think it's the world that Donald is potentially living in where RJ Barrett turns into a star. He brings the Knicks back to glory. The Knicks haven't really been relevant at all since what the mid nineties when they had Patrick Ewing on the team, they haven't won an NBA yeah. championship in my lifetime. I don't know if they've won an NBA championship in Jason's lifetime. And uh, Willis Reed was like in the early seventies. I was barely alive. I did not, I don't recall watching it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So, so we have that as a, as a reference. And so it's been a long time. I think that the Knicks obviously get a lot of attention for being in New York and playing in Madison square garden and having Spike Lee around all of that is, is working in their favor. But of course there are, numerous institutional challenges that start right at the top with the Knicks. And I think that for most players, it is a, it's a death sentence to end up in New York on the Knicks because of the way that the organization is set up. However, RJ Barrett comes in not only with, you know, an immense basketball skill set, which some guy, you know, he doesn't, he has more basketball skills than most guys who come through the draft, which is why he went all the way up at number three. But he also comes with a bit of a pedigree. He has Steve Nash sort of in his in his entourage, if you will. Steve Nash, of course, is his godfather. That's his he's his father's best friend. And I think having that basketball institution around RJ Barrett gives him a leg up that most players can't get. And he's going to have knowledge about how to train and how to prepare and how to maintain himself during that rookie season that is so grueling. I can imagine that for players who don't have that kind of support, going to a organiza an organization like the Knicks that is not well run and that is not sort of on top of player development is, is a challenge. But for RJ, it could actually be okay because he has that support system already in place. That being said, 
the supporting cast is going to be a huge question mark. Whether the Knicks can sign worthwhile players to to put around RJ Barrett and uh, and the the sort of limited cast that they already have is is a big part of whether or not he's going to succeed. Jason, I don't know if I agree with your take because I think that to be rookie of the year nowadays, I think with the media being much you know, more inclined towards analytics and, and understanding sort of all the things that go into putting together a winning team scoring, I don't think is, is the only thing that is in it. Certainly it's a big deal. You're saying if he's a low efficiency <laughs> scorer that, that they'll discount it. It's possible. I, it's possible. I, I think, I, I think it is possible. I, 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 th- I think this is going to be um, uh, not a great rookie class other than the top few guys. I mean, that's not that's not a hot take. A lot of people have said that this is a fairly weak draft. And so I think our, that's why I, I think RJ's scoring will will carry the day. Um, that said, it's it's entirely possible that Zion Williamson will be the greatest thing since sliced bread because he sure looked that way for the past nine months or so, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the, that's the part that I think is most egregious about the way you answered the question because – because Zion Williamson still exists and he's going to be in New Orleans and he's playing with a better supporting cast than RJ Barrett has. Zion Williamson, I think yeah. if, if we're really looking at projections, is probably making the playoffs. We'll get to him in a second. But um I, I am most can, curious can we, to see. Can, wait, can, yeah. we, uh, can we edit what I said? I want to edit that out. <laughs> no, 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 no. Even though even though RJ even though <laughs> RJ will be the second place rookie of the year. <laughs> Look, and don't discount John Morant. John Morant is gonna probably be awesome in Memphis. And and every, yeah, I think yeah. that the hey, biggest wait. buzz about the draft so far is John Morant, um, and well, and yeah. how how hyped the Memphis Grizzlies are for the way that they have rebuilt their team so quickly, right? Yeah, well, the talk really should be about the New Orleans Pelicans. I mean, Memphis feels like they had a, a good draft, and and good for them. And I know they feel like they remade their team, but the team that really got remade, the team that really got rebuilt, is the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, I, I mean, not just Zion Williamson, but the assets that they got from the Los Angeles Lakers uh, is unbelievable. Uh, there, there are trades over the course of time that you look back on. Uh, like if you're an NFL fan, the Herschel Walker trade that the Dallas Cowboys made. Um, I'm trying to think there are a few others. There, there are these trades. Oh, oh, you're uh, in the NBA when the, the um, Brooklyn Nets at the time, I think they were the New Jersey Nets traded with the Boston Celtics um, to get Paul Pierce and um, uh, 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 Kevin Garnett. Um, uh, when when they made that trade, uh, when you look back on it, you go, "Oh my gosh! Look at all the assets! Look at everything that was given back um, by the by the team that got the the star player." Um, I think that this Lakers Pelicans trade may be the same kind of thing where where we look back on it, we go, "Wow!" I mean, the Lakers have given the Pelicans control of the NBA draft for like the next five years. And then the Pelicans turned around and they took the Lakers pick. They traded to the Hawks, and the Hawks gave the Pelicans even more assets. So, uh, the, wow, I mean, the Pelicans are set up in great, great shape. Can I take half a second? And we, we were talking about the Knicks a minute ago, and I never got to jump in and say this. I, I looked this up. Are, are you ready for something? Can we rip on the Knicks for a minute? Is, is that, I lo- am I allowed to? Yes. You're in the, charge. Can the, I rip on the, the Knicks? This podcast approves of ripping on the Knicks. Okay, so we're going to go back to the year 2000. Back in the year 2000, since then... From then till now, you probably can't even remember stuff before 2000 or just barely. The Knicks have made the playoffs uh, a grand total of I, five I, times. I, I remember. Hang on. I remember. I remember Patrick Ewing being in the NBA. Like he was awesome. I oh, know okay. that. All right. Yeah. Well, 
So, the, <laughs> so since 2000, the Knicks have made the playoffs five times in 18 years. They have only advanced out of the first round once in those five times. They made the conference semifinals and they in 2013, and then they promptly lost. I want to read to you a list of names. These are all the coaches of the Knicks since 2000. This is really funny. Do we have, Get do ready. We have time? Do we have time yep. for this? I feel like I feel like we try to keep these these podcasts kind of tight. All right, here we go. The list of New York Knicks head coaches since the year 2000. Jeff Van Gundy, Don Chaney, Herb Williams, Lenny Wilkins, Herb Williams again, Larry Brown, Isaiah Thomas, Mike D'Antoni, Mike Woodson, Derek Fisher, Kurt Rambis, Jeff Hornacek, and then David Fisdale. That's a lot of coaches <laughs> for 18 years. That's like 12 guys. It's it's insane. Yeah, and and who's to say that anything is going to get better for for the Knicks organization despite having you know, a phenomenal draft pick in R.J. Barrett. I, I, you, you know who's to say? R.J. Barrett is who's to say. That is true. Barrett, you know what? If you anyone a... has to say so in it, it is R.J. Barrett. All right. I want to transition to talk. I'm going to keep keep going down the list before coming back to Zion. <laughs> yes. I, I Before, Jason, of course, before I get your, tick on, your take on your hometown Hawks. My tick, taking too. Your tick <laughs> on them taking Cam Reddish. I wanted to get... Donald's take. Donald, before we hear what Jason has to say, what do you think about Cam Reddish? Uh, he he maybe dropped a little bit from where some analysts had him projected, sort of in the seven, six, seven, eight kind of range. He falls down to 10. What do you think about Cam Reddish and, uh, and, and what sort of the projections look like for him? Well, as we discussed a couple weeks ago on the last podcast, I think Cam Reddish to the Atlanta Hawks is a very good uh, pick for the Hawks. I think that uh, we, we've talked about him pairing with Trey Young, if he can get his shot uh, under him and, and really improve it, that he can become a scoring option without having to be the man in Atlanta. And they have a really young core um, that is going to be uh, one to deal with and, and contend with in the East in the next few years. And he could be a part of that. Uh, I was interesting. It was interesting to me that he fell to 10 uh, because I know that the Hawks had drafted uh, Jackson Hayes at eight. And we talked about how he uh, wouldn't fall past the Wizards uh, at nine in that way the Hawks would pick him at eight. But uh, when they got Rui uh, from uh, Gonzaga, um, the Wizards did, then he was still available at 10. And I think that was uh, an interesting play because it tells me that the Hawks knew that Cam Reddish would be there at 10 and they didn't have to waste an eight pick, especially one that's going to the Pelicans, to get him. So uh, he, he might be a polarizing player uh, for a lot of people, but I think you know, if he can get his shot under him, he's going to be a great player in the NBA. And I think his, his, he has the range to, to shoot from three. So when he can get that going and he can prove that, all he has to do now is work on the shot. He doesn't have to go to class. He doesn't do anything else. He doesn't have to worry about any responsibilities other than getting better uh, from behind the arc. And if he can do that, the Atlanta Hawks probably got one of the seals of the draft. So Donald, I think, is a little bit higher on Cam Reddish than than the, the average pundit is. I am... I am curious about the Cam Reddish situation because on the one hand, he showed flashes of brilliance this year at Duke. On the other hand, the stats were not great on his efficiency and on his fouling and and some of the indicators that you think would be easier for him to pick up in college. But I really want to hear Jason's take on it because, of course, Jason is the Hawks fan here and his happiness is is most directly related to Cam Reddish's success in the NBA. So, Jason, what do you think about Donald's optimism for Cam Reddish on the Hawks? 
Well, Donald is right about one thing. I mean, he talked about Cam needs to work on his shooting. Uh, you you cannot succeed at the type of game that Cam Reddish plays unless you bury three pointers. Period. End of story. We need have no more discussion of it. Um, he must be able to hit outside shots to be an effective NBA player. Um, that said, I, I like his form on his outside shot. He certainly showed, you know, some streakiness. Uh, so he showed at times he's capable of it. He is so long and and it, he gets off the shot so effortlessly that I feel like, you know, I feel like the 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 elements are there for him to be a good NBA shooter. And I, Cam's, I mentioned earlier that I do not think this is a great draft. I, again, I'm not alone in saying that. So the Hawks picking number 10, I was looking around. There weren't a lot of other guys that I was like, oh, my God, please get him. Please get him. Um, I, I was thrilled that Cam was still there at number 10. I think that Cam has a chance to become a 3 and D player in the NBA. Donald talked about his shooting. I want to talk about Cam's defense. That was the thing he did best for Duke this year. Cam was most effective um, as a defender, using his long arms, using his quickness and his anticipation to get into passing lanes, to disrupt um, uh, guys who are dribbling the ball or trying to make passes and the such. And, and so I think Cam potentially can be a 3 and D guy for the Hawks. And those are really valuable. I mean, we see that in the NBA Finals every year. Teams that advance far in the playoffs have these guys who stand in the corner and they bury three-pointers at the other end of the floor. They D up the best guy on the opposition and they D him up really darn well. And it's a huge part of success in the NBA. And I think that could be Cam's role with the Atlanta Hawks. And you know what? If it doesn't work out for him, I will be sad because I want him to be really good and I want the Hawks to be really good. But I just think we're going to look back on this draft. There are not going to be many all-stars out of this draft. And if the Hawks took a shot at number 10 on a guy who could be an, uh, could be a really good 3 and D player, it's not the end of the world if it doesn't work out. All right. I'll give you a I'll, – I'll, I'll let you play a game here because there's a Duke player that I am thinking of when it comes to pr- trying to project Cam Reddish early in the league, and that's Luke Kennard. Because Luke Kennard also – he was at Duke for two years, but he came out with a – with a scouting report that was, you know, notionally scorer, but still questions about his shot. Um, it's not, he's not exactly the same player. He's not as long as Cam Reddish. Um, Luke Kennard, I think, had more more of an interesting mid-range game when he was at Duke than, than Cam did. Cam certainly has a better reputation as a defender. But so far in Luke Kennard's two seasons in the NBA, he's averaged 7.6 points per game and 9.7 points per game. And in his first two seasons, he shot... Uh, just over 40% from three. So, and and it, it all comes out to he's averaged 8.6 points per game. Do you think, Jason, that Cam Reddish is going to score more than Luke Kennard and have a, and or have a better three-point percentage? So those were 8.6 points a game and 40% from three. We're talking through his first two seasons? Through his first two seasons. Okay, so I, I don't know that he will quite get to that three-point percentage. But but I think he he may get around eight points per game over the course of his first couple of seasons. And I'm glad you brought up Luke Kennard because folks who listen faithfully to this podcast will know that I have compared Cam's shooting woes to Luke Kennard's freshman season. I don't know if folks remember this because Luke was so great as a sophomore. Luke was Luke's three point percentage was awful. He was awful as a freshman at Duke. And at the time, I said this is inexplicable. This guy has too good a looking of a stroke. He had too good of a reputation as a shooter. 
you know, I think that, you know, this is just one bad year. And I wonder if maybe we saw the same thing from Cam Reddish, a guy who came in with a great reputation as a shooter, a guy who looks like he should be able to fill it up. He has a terrible year. Maybe like Luke Kennard, he just had an off season. It seems crazy to go, oh, he, he was just off for 38 games. <laughs> but um, maybe maybe that's what was going on. And, and maybe he will show what he really is. Uh, now that he's in the NBA. I, as a Hawks fan, I'd be thrilled. I think that that's one of the underrated things about projecting these players who come out early after after just one year of college or perhaps even two is that you you may actually get stuck in a small sample or or something that's that's just above a small sample when you're trying to project how they're going to be in the league. And that is one of the reasons that NBA teams stopped wanting to have <laughs> high school players enter directly into the draft because they didn't feel like they were getting enough data on them against high quality competition to say, yeah, this guy actually is a good shooter because we don't know at this point if Cam Reddish is a, is a guy with a good shot who just happened to miss a bunch of shots this year, or if he doesn't really see the rim or if he, you know, he has some other problem in his game and the Hawks will find out. I do want to get of course to Zion Williamson and the way that I teed up, the question to Donald is how many all-star games do you think Zion Williamson is going to make in his hopefully long NBA career? And Donald, I think has the reputation on this show of being the eternal optimist. So this answer will not surprise you. So Zion Williamson being in the Western conference presents a weird combination because there's a lot of guys in the, in the Western conference that could get voted into the all-star game. But I call me crazy. I think he's going to be one of them in year one. And I think because of his star quality, the, you know, the number of people who just adore him, uh, even before high school, before college, uh, and even at Duke, I, I think he's going to be one of those guys that we see playing an all-star game well over 10 times. I mean, the record is 19. Uh, it's, it's held by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, the, mo- the most actively is LeBron James with 15. He's been to, he's been to every All-Star game or been selected every All-Star game since he joined the league. I think we're looking at that for Zion Williamson. I think the question is, how many years will he play in the NBA? My guess is 15. I think that's the number that we're looking at. He's going to get invited uh, just about every single year that he's in the league. But I think uh, in the end, All-Star games number I think we're going to set it at 15 he could go a little bit higher I just don't know if he's going to play until he's 40 um, like some guys do to get to that high number if he plays that then he might set a record but I think the sweet spot right now is 15 okay I, 15 yeah 15. I want to want to make a call back <laughs> wow on the one hand that's a lot on the other hand you know if He's right. If Zion's good, people love him. He's so magnetic that, I mean, maybe 15 is low. <laughs> I don't know. I, Donald said he thinks Zion's going to retire in 15 years, and I think that's crazy. He's just 19. He's not going to retire at 34. It just doesn't happen. I mean, I mean, for guys who are shaped like Zion Williamson, generally they don't last until they're 40. The guys who last until they're 40 are are the the Jerry Stackhouses of the world, right? Uh, well, wait the, a second. Hold on, hold on. I mean – LeBron, LeBron is not shaped entirely differently from Zion Williamson. LeBron's lost a lot of weight, though. I mean, you look at LeBron now, he's he's slimmed down a fair amount. And and I bet he's looking at that and thinking um, that he needs he needed to do that to be able to prolong his career. So uh, you cannot you cannot project what Zion's body will look like in 
10 or 12 or 15 years. Jason, Jason, we are guys that talk about sports on the internet. We can say whatever. We, <laughs> we can project anything. We can, we can project anything. No one's here to. All right. So what? Us. Wait. So what's your answer? Uh, how many? How many All Star games does Zion make? I'm gonna go with nine. Um, I feel like, I feel like I want to hedge between Zion. I mean, I don't think he's gonna be a bust. He's gonna make. He's gonna make at least a few All Star games. I don't know if he is going to hold up in the NBA playing his game and with his body for. 20 years, which is what it takes to get to 15 all-star games, unless you are LeBron. And, you know, will he make the all-star game this year? Probably. I I think he will probably make the all-star game his rookie year because he's so electric and everybody loves him and he'll probably be good right off the bat. But he has to maintain that. And there have been scores of players who have been really, really impressive and then have gotten injured or, or fallen off for whatever reason. Think about how electric Derrick Rose was you know, when uh, when he won his MVP uh, right in the middle of the LeBron era and everyone was like, yeah. oh, Derrick yeah. Rose, here he comes. And then he and then he hurt his knee and he's never been the same player. Uh, not I'm not saying that Derrick Rose was as good as Zion. It hopefully will be. But Derrick Rose was amazing. Uh, plenty of guys have been amazing and then and then just had stuff happen to them. So I don't know if it's I don't know if it's 15. I'm going to go with nine all star games for Zion. What do you think? I feel like I don't understand your projection because it feels to me like you're projecting an injury. And I think that's impossible to know. Uh, and, and, and relatively unlikely. They're not, it's not like everybody in the NBA gets injured at some point in their career. Uh, nine well, doesn't make sense to me. To, okay. to me, he's either, he's either a good player who occasionally makes an all-star game, which means, you know, three, four, five, or he's great. And he and and he makes 15, 18, something like that. Uh, well, you, you ready? I, I laughed at the 15. I'm going to go 17. What? Because I, I yes, yes. I, I, wow. I agree with you. I think he'll make it this year. And I think he's going to be one of those guys. He's not just going to be good. Zion Williamson's going to be great. And if you're great, you make it every single year. And, and he's going to. He's going to. I'm, and the reason I'm saying 17 and not like 20, because I think he'll play in the league for – uh, probably 18, 19 years is that there will be some years where he'll miss because something weird happens and he gets injured at the wrong time or something like that. And he, or, or even that he sort of takes an all-star game off or who knows what, or, or at the very end of the career. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I that's, I laughed at, I laughed at Donald and then I one upped him. That's wow. me. All right. New eternal optimist, Jason Evans here on the Duke basketball report. So that's uh, it. Uh, so, so yeah, you, you, what? My my lesson is you don't make money betting against the accomplishments of Zion Williamson. Okay. That's uh that's your gambling advice for the month. So, <laughs> so take that. Uh that and and seven dollars can get you a cup of coffee in Seattle, is what I've learned. <laughs> it's, it's what I've learned the last month and a half. Okay. So I love it. I do uh, <laughs> I do want to um transition now and kind of look a little bit more broadly at the draft. We have gone over Duke's top draft picks. We'll come back and talk about Marquise Bolden um, here at the end, but I want to kind of look more broadly at the, uh, at how things kind of shaped out for the rest of the league and see if you had any thoughts about um, maybe players who, who were steals here. I know that Jason, you said that um, 
the chatter around this draft is that after the top couple of picks, it doesn't feel like there was a lot of value to be had out there. Um, but so I, I put this question to Donald and again, we'll go to him first because he is, he is the recorded one about um, who is a player that you think was a steal from this draft and perhaps who's a player that you think was a reach. So I'll let, I'll let Donald take it away from there. For me, and you're probably going to call me a homer for this, but the steal of the first round uh, was my Detroit Pistons selecting Sekou Dombuya, 15th. Uh, I thought he was going to be someone who could have been uh, drafted in that 7, 8, 9 range um, in the NBA draft. When he dropped to 11, and then I said, oh, I think the Phoenix Suns would probably just grab him, especially with that pick they had just, the trade they just made with the Timberwolves. But when they drafted Cameron Johnson, I knew that he was going to fall all the way to the 15 and that the Pistons wouldn't hesitate in taking him. So uh, I think that was the steal of the draft. Now for reaches, uh, I'm looking, and there's really not a lot of reaches, but I would say probably the Cavaliers drafting Darius Garland, um, especially when they were trying to move up to like two or, or three to try and grab, grab, grab some people. But I think they could have probably traded back. Um, and, and gotten somebody to trade up to take somebody like Jared Culver or Kobe White before the Suns and Bulls drafted. And maybe, just maybe, they could have gotten Darius Garland a little bit lower in the top 10 or maybe even uh, lower than that. So uh, I think that might have been the stretch. But here's the other steal. Uh, the other steal was Bull Bull going to the Nuggets in the second round. This was a guy that entering the year was going to be a top four or five pick. And now he's he was a second round pick. So if he pans out and he can get over the injury that caused him to miss almost all of uh, his freshman season, his only season at Oregon, if he can get over that and become the player that people expect him to be, then the Nuggets will have completely won this draft by taking him deep in the second round. So I think that the most interesting answer that Donald gave and is a, a topic that I think will will probably come up again, no matter how his career turns out, is Bull Bull because he's a player who obviously has an NBA pedigree. His, his dad, Manute Bull, was an NBA all-star, and, uh, and, and he was projected to be one of the best players in this class as of a year ago, had a, had a injury-filled and maligned season at Oregon, and now gets picked all the way down in the second round. Jason, did you have any additional thoughts on any of Donald's picks or, or some other steals and reaches of your own? Well, so first let me get to what Donald said, because – uh, the two steals that Donald identified were the two guys that I was going to say. I love Sekou Dubuya. Um, I, I I had identified him as someone I hoped the Hawks might take with the number 10 pick. Now, when Cam Reddish was still on the board, I absolutely wanted Cam Reddish. But but I think uh, Sekou Dubuya, is, is, uh, you know, he, he shows a lot of the athleticism and variety of game that, uh, that a guy like Pascal Siakam shows. And, and I... I think that could be a really, really good pick for the Pistons. And then Bull Bull, I, I, I can't really explain him lasting to number 44. I've never seen injury fears like this because let's be clear. So Bull Bull has like legit crazy NBA height. I mean, we're talking about a dude who is, I think he's like seven, two. He, he's unbelievably tall. And, and so you know, he, he's got NBA height and length. In fact, I think he, at the combine, he, he set new records for, for his length, for his wingspan. They've never measured anyone as big as Bull Bull in the history of the combine. I think I read that. And on the one hand, you'd go, okay, but the NBA doesn't play with big men. Big men don't matter in the NBA anymore. But 
but Bol Bol's a really good outside shooter. So he should, like, the fact that he lasts to 44 says to me that NBA teams don't just think he might get hurt. They're certain he's going to be hurt. They think most NBA teams think there's no chance that this guy is able to play at all because if he's able to play, I mean, like he's unguardable on the perimeter and he can hit three point shots and he can protect the rim. I mean, how, how, how did that happen? And how did that last number 44? The only explanation is everyone just thinks this guy is did like not just injury prone, but will be unable to take the floor, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, at number I, I 44, think who yeah, cares I think at 44? It's the, it's the more extreme version of what happened to Harry Giles, right? Harry Giles was the best player in his class a few years ago. Yeah. He he had, what, three knee surgeries before going into the NBA draft. He didn't get to play much yep. his one season at Duke, and and teams passed on him, and he ended up in – but he only ended up in the late lottery. Um, no, no, Bull he, Bull he, went, went, he went number 20. He, 20, Harry Giles yeah, went number so 20. At the, at the yeah. end of the lottery, Bull Bull went 44th. Yeah, well, that's, and and by the way, it's really far the, away. The, uh, Harry Giles has looked very good for Sacramento so far. Um, he looks like he's on a a course to be a significant player for them. If you could get a player like that at number forty four, you'd be doing cartwheels if you're an NBA team. So so let me really quick. So we already mentioned the two guys I think were steals. The other one is, you know, I'm not going to be a Duke homer. I'm going to be honest. Nasir Little at number twenty five. That's like insane to me that he lasted that long. The, the idea that Nasir Little was taken after Ty Jerome, the idea that Nasir Little was taken after Grant Williams, like I, I can't even wrap my head around that because the NBA draft is so much about potential and Nasir Little still has a tremendous amount of potential. There were games this year for Carolina where we saw him absolutely take over. You saw him score in ways NBA players dream about scoring. And, and the dude is, he's a physical specimen. He has off the charts athleticism and he's not like he's unskilled. Um, I don't know what Roy Williams was going around telling NBA teams about him. Uh, you know, I'm, I think Roy must've been saying bad things or something for him to last to number 25. It's crazy to me that Nasir Little didn't go in the lottery. Um, but you know, I think the trailblazers got an absolute steal there and number 25, if it doesn't work out, it's not like the 25th pick. You were expecting him to be great, but Nasir Little has a chance to be great. So that's, that's a great pick, I think. Yeah, I'm surprised that he, that he lasted that long as well because usually, right, if you are – it's not like he was injured. You know, with, with Bull Bull, you could say, all right, I'm an NBA team. I'm picking, you know, at, towards the end of the first round. So I've already got a playoff team, and I want to keep things going. Bull Bull seems like he might be a project. I'm just going to round down my expectation for him and say he's probably not going to be productive because the injuries are just going to be too too much for him to overcome. Nasir Little didn't have that. Nasir Little is like the perfect kind of player that you want to pick if you are are like a good, not great team because he could flip the switch and be amazing again, be the player that was projected to be you know, a top two, top three pick as of a year ago, and and all of a sudden you've got an extra borderline all star on your team. So that part was yeah, that, that's really astounding to me. Um, one guy I wanted to highlight that uh, is interesting to us, sort of looking from the lens of Duke fans. You'll recall last year Duke lost a game at St. John's uh, to Shamori Pons primarily, and Shamori Pons didn't get drafted in this draft. He came back for an extra season because he, for whatever reason, he he came back, um, didn't go 
didn't get drafted, had to get picked up as an undrafted free agent. And I'm always curious about these guys that um, that have these these big flashes against a team like Duke or a, or another big program where they're the kind of guys that you know are going to step up in the moment. And uh, Shamori Pons apparently didn't have the rest of that profile to to get drafted, but um, wouldn't be surprised if, if he became a, a real player in the NBA. So that was an interesting one to me. Um, did you have, Jason, did you have a, a guy that you were concerned a uh, team reached too much for? Well, I, I'm now going to put on my Carolina hating hat again. How do you pick Cam Johnson number 11? I, I, guess the, I guess Phoenix just decided they had to have a great shooter. But I don't understand how you pick Cameron Johnson number 11. I just, I'm not sure he's going to get his shot off really well in the NBA. Um, I, 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 I don't think he can, I don't think he's going to defend opposing shooting guards all that well. I'm, I'm really surprised that if you're, if you're that hung up on a shooter, if you're like, we've got to have a great shooter, uh, you know, there are other guys that you could have taken further back in the draft. Carson Edwards, who was the best shooter in college basketball last year, who absolutely ignited, absolutely lit up the NCAA tournament, um, went number 33. Uh, I, I don't, I don't get Cam Johnson at number 11. Yeah. I think the one that I'm looking at, and, and again, this is with my, with my fan glasses on the Wizards selecting Rui Hachimura with the ninth pick, a player who comes with all kinds of attention because he's the first Japanese player to get drafted in the first round. And the Wizards who are a team that according to reports did not work out Rui Hachimura prior to the draft. So he didn't really know them. Um, that was an interesting pick for me. I am I am very curious well, to see how how he how he handles all of that. And the Wizards are going through this big transition right now. They still don't even have a general manager, so it's not like there's really a, a plan around what's going on with with that franchise, right? There there may be no franchise in the NBA that is that looks more dead in the water for the next three or four years than the Washington Wizards because of the John Wall contract. Um. Yeah, it uh, that they're they are the worst of all of all worlds. They they don't have the talent to be good, but they're paying too much money to to guys, especially guys who are injured, to be able to get new talent. Um, so uh, the reason I think the Rui Hachimura pick is such a bad pick for them is that he's a junior. You know, he's he's an old guy by the NBA draft standards. If you're the Wizards, you should have drafted uh, you know a, a young dude. Because if it takes three years for him to be any good, what do you care? Because you're going to suck for the next three years anyway. So why are you drafting an older guy who, who's already sort of, you know, Hachimura is sort of the guy that you'd go, oh, this is the guy uh, who, who can maybe help me right away. You know, well, Phil, he'll he'll fill in as the as the seventh or eighth best player on my team that is already in the playoffs. Exactly. Exactly. And it doesn't make any sense that, that to me for the Wizards, that makes no sense whatsoever. If I'm the Wizards, I'm drafting someone who who's going to be awful, who I can be awful alongside and hopefully start to get some other good draft picks um, and make things better that way. The Wizards should have taken Sekou Dumbuya. I, that's what well, I think they should have done. Jason, Jason, if if you're looking, the Wizards are uh, still out there trying to hire a GM. So I think they would be very interested in your in your opinions on this matter. And you could go live in Washington. You could hang out with my parents. Uh, yeah. You know, hey, consider my, sis my sister and my sister-in-law both live in Washington. It's a fine, fine Look, city wizards. If you want me, you can find my number.
Yeah, you can find him by DMing him on the Duke Basketball Report forum. He is uh, at, I think it's just at Jason Evans, right? What? Uh, you mean Twitter? On or? the forum. No, on no, the forum. J- Jason Duke Evans. Jason Duke Evans. Okay. Oh, no, Jason, no, wait. Yeah. I, I know, on the forum, I'm just Jason I think Evans. You're, right. I'm, I think yes, you're just Jason yes, Evans. Right, right. Yeah, yes. you're famous enough to just be that guy. So, yeah. Go, <laughs> so slide into his, uh, slide into his PMs. Uh, on the on the DBR forum. Don't forget to check out the DBR forum, by the way, where tons of great draft analysis goes on. Okay, we're going to get to um, one of the most important topics of the draft, of course, a topic that we all feel passionately about. And of course, Donald feels passionately about. That, of course, is fashion. Donald, take it away. Okay, if we're gonna start with fashion, I, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a correction. Uh, when I said that the steal of the draft was probably Seku Dumbuya, no, the steal of the draft was John Moran's dad in that hat stealing the show last night uh, when he was drafted and they had that interview. Like my God, that dude was wavy as all could be. I'm telling you, that man was fully dressed to the nines. That man won the fashion show and stole the show at the draft. I was cracking up when I saw pictures of his hat, and he's already become a meme on the internet. It's it's hilarious uh, what he was wearing, but it was it was stylish. My man was ready to go. He knew he was going to be on international TV, so that was fun to see. Um, getting back to the players, I really liked uh, Zion. Zion went with the full all-white. He went with all-white joint, and I, I liked it. He, it looked like it was uh, very comfortable. Uh, he wasn't wearing a tie. Um, a lot of people were probably, you know, faux pawing that but i don't like my man was stylish and he was ready to go he knew he's gonna be the number one pick so i really like that part um and we're looking at at rj barrett rj barrett's uh pink coat look guys i love pink i love it so rj did a right thing by by dressing in pink he had an outfit going he had the shoes going the crocodiles my man was ready to go so uh, i'm really looking i'm really looking at those two uh and and uh, John Moran's dad was the man. Um, also, I thought it was a really cool touch to see um, Cam Reddish's jacket. He had a tribute to Debbie Jones, who is Trey and Tyus's mom, um, as she was battling cancer. So I thought that was a really nice, nice uh, tribute to her uh, and to a teammate. I thought that was really cool to kind of shout her out on a night that's supposed to be about you know him. He made it about uh, somebody else, and I think that was uh, that's always good to see. And I think a lot of people uh, should take credit, you know, take pride in that that Cam did that. I thought that was pretty cool. And finally, uh, I'll have to if we're talking about tributes, Bull Bull's jacket with the tribute to his late father, Manute Bull, uh, on the inside of his coat. Loved Manute Bull when he was a player, uh, when he was alive. Uh, that is uh, obviously somebody he was looking up to still uh, today, uh, and, and really to to shout him out, I thought was a really cool deal. I can't right. believe I can't <laughs> believe that Donald talked about Bull Bull's jacket and he didn't mention the web, the spider web on the jacket. He talked about what was inside the jacket. Donald, there was a giant spider web on Bull Bull's jacket. Oh my God, that was crazy. And uh, did you see Tyler Hero? Ty- Tyler Hero's outfit. I truly, honestly believe. I think it's really sweet. It is very nice that Tyler Hero let his grandmother take the curtains from her living room, the curtains that have been in her family for 93 years, and construct Tyler Hero's suit out of her grandma out of his grandmother's curtains. I think that was that was really sweet of him. Man, Jason, <laughs> you 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 are a cruel human. Um, yeah, the uh, the did, wait, did Dom you Moran's, see Tyler uh, Hero's outfit? 
No, I didn't. I didn't. Maybe I, here, you keep talking. Oh, I'm my God. Up. Wait a second. Wait a second. You have to look up Tyler. Tyler Hero's suit. Wow. Just It was just like, oh, it's uh, – in fact, if you – so, folks, go out there. Type into Google. You know how Google autofills things for you? If you type in Tyler Hero, one of the autofills will be Tyler Hero suit draft. Like, people are so desperate to find out about his suit. It was – it was – bad it was just it it looks you know like it looked like grandma's curtains i kind of like it oh I, really I, I think i like it Dude. you gotta make it you gotta make a statement um yeah what was I think his I'm statement fine with it. i like i don't purple know what, flowers i don't that know what his, his statement, statement is but he's but he's unique the people will talk about him yeah you know what now i'm seeing it with the pants <laughs> yeah uh, yeah it's not just the jacket hey if it was just the jacket if it was Black shirt, black pants, and that jacket—it'd be kind of cool. The pants are killing it. The All pants right. are just. I need no. What do you think about Zion Williamson going no tie, like, like chest out? Oh I no, he looks sharp. That. Yeah, I thought Zion looked sharp. Uh, his his I, suit, I, I thought, looked really good. And I, and I, 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 you know, he looked casual. He looked relaxed. He was like, "I am here. This is my draft, and I am here." Um, and and while we're talking about the Duke guys. I I loved uh, people were liking RJ's pink jacket. That 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 was sharp. He I thought I thought RJ looked really sharp also. Maybe I'm being a homer, but you know, I thought no. Zion and RJ looked good. Looked really good. I think uh I think I think fashion becoming a, a staple of the NBA is an awesome thing. And I'm glad that they all get dressed up like this and um send all your hot takes about about us focusing too much on fashion uh, at the NBA draft or or in, in sports in general, I think it's a lot of fun. I think that it's cool that the player, some of these players, you know, if they, if they um, come from tough backgrounds, I don't, I don't know if any of the Duke guys do, but, but for some of the players who come from tough backgrounds, this is the first time they're going to have access to a lot of money in their life and they get to go spend it on cool stuff like fun clothing. And it's, it's fun. If nothing else, it's fun to watch. So I am, I am down for that. Let's wrap up our, uh, our draft coverage Jason, give me your kind of quick take on Marquise Bolden, because as I mentioned at the top, the last time we spoke, he was still unclear if he was coming back or not. Obviously, uh, the the front court for Duke next season is going to be pretty crowded. So I would guess that, you know, most of his calculus was was not as much on his own projection as an NBA player, but more about just where is he going to get the most you know, actual game minutes this season. And it's probably even if it's in if it's in the G League or it's in the NBA, either way, it's probably more than he was going to get at Duke. But what do you think about about Marquise Bolden's pro prospects looking ahead to next season? Well, it, it wasn't a shock that he went undrafted, uh, and I think it's very telling and very interesting. Um, his signing was announced by the Cleveland Cavaliers literally within like a half hour of the draft ending. Like it, it is clear that the the player number sixty name was called, and the Cavs immediately called. Um, uh, Marquise's agent and said, hey, let's make a deal. Um, now, I, I, I'm not going to be so silly as to say that that this deal is for any guaranteed money. They clearly want to see what he does in, um, uh, you know, in, in the summer leagues. But, but I think it, it means that they are high on him, as high as you can be on an undrafted free agent, which is not that high. But uh, it, it means that they're definitely going to take a hard look at him and he'll get a chance on that summer league team 
And, um, you know, things work out for him. I, I sort of feel like a G League, a two-way contract is about the best he can hope for. But I think there's, there's a decent chance he's going to get one because it's clear that they were very interested in him. Yeah, and, and that's actually pretty telling because the, the teams will, will line this stuff up ahead of time, right? They can't actually make deals with the players, but right. they can tell them, look, if you're, not, if you're not getting drafted and you're probably not, everyone knows you're not getting drafted, we are, we are coming for you immediately. And we've, we've talked before about how and I think, teams now... Uh, by, the, teams, by the way, I think, yeah. I think Bolden had that word from the Cavs and maybe some other teams, which is why he stayed in the draft. He knew that he wasn't going to have to wait around for a call, that if he didn't get drafted, teams were going to call right away. And, and teams are, you know, nowadays where, where teams have a lot more data, they are able to, to scout players in more sophisticated ways. It also means that they're going to come to more diverse opinions about what, you know, about projections about certain players. So all you really need is for a couple teams to think, you know what, he's not, he's not a player that we need to draft because the other teams aren't looking at him, but he is a player that we're interested in. So, uh, you know, the, the draft is a, is a, is a big game in, you know, teams indicating what their preferences are and, and telling the reporters and the reporters announcing, you know, oh, so-and-so has interest from all these teams. So-and-so is definitely getting drafted in the first round. All of that is all gamesmanship. And then the players actually go out and get the player, or the teams go out and get the players that they want. So um, I don't know if Marquise Bolden's going to spend a lot of time in the NBA this year, but I, but I am pretty sure that he's going to get more burn against better competition than he probably would have at Duke. And, and that isn't as much of an indictment on Marquise Bolden as I think it used to be uh, back in the day. I think it's just that, that Duke has, especially once they added Matthew Hurt, Duke has a, has a really strong front court next year. And Bolden knew that, you know, he could have played his way into the starting lineup. He could have also played his way uh, right to the bench. So uh, th- this way, at least, he's probably going to get a lot of minutes in the G League and hopefully will have a successful career. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the boys of Bird Campbell, PA. Duke alums Tucker Bird and Jamie Campbell have been running this law firm in Texas and in Florida for many years. For all of your business legal needs, contact Bird Campbell at birdcampbell.com. That's B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. Bird Campbell means business. All right, we are going to wrap it there. We don't obviously have players of the week because there was no basketball to analyze and the NBA finals was sufficiently long ago enough that you have probably consumed all the content you need on the Raptors' big victory over the Golden State Warriors. But we have to do our parting shots, so I will let Donald start. Donald, tell us about being in Paris and in France for the U.S. Women's National Team's World Cup appearance for the last few weeks. Well, first off, Sam, Jason, thank you again for giving me these questions ahead of time so I could pre-record responses uh, and kind of be a part of the show because it was a very important show. Uh, the NBA draft special that we do every year is always fun to, to recap. So I'm glad I was able to be a part of it, at least in this format. Uh, so thank you guys for, for facilitating that 
for me. Uh, as mentioned at the top of the show, I am here in Paris, France for the Women's World Cup. I've been here uh, since the 9th of June and will be in France through the end of the tournament, uh, which ends on July 7th. I'm here with the American Outlaws. I am helping to run a travel package that goes throughout the tournament. Uh, so I am here for the entire time following our women's national team around. It's been a absolute blast to go to uh, several different places. Uh, we had a game here in Paris. We had one in Reims, which is in the Champagne region, uh, for those of you familiar, um, out in the eastern part of, of France. And then also in Le Havre, uh, I was there a couple days ago, which is in Normandy. Um, some of the highlights of this trip, and, and I'll be brief with it because there's so many I could talk about. Um, you know, the Normandy trip was one of the more rewarding experiences I've ever done. Uh, we went to the Normandy American Cemetery. Uh, I was able to lay a wreath at the memorial there um, in the cemetery uh, and have a ceremony on behalf of all of the 25,000 members of my organization. Uh, so that was a very uh, unique uh, thing to do and a tremendous honor, really. It was a humbling experience to be in Normandy and kind of see uh, something very unlike any other cemetery in the world. Uh, also, uh, just being at the games, you know, the, the marches through the towns uh, in Paris, we took over. Uh, literally, we, we shut down streets. The Paris police shut down an entire major intersection for us and guided us through the streets of France as we had a march of about 5,000 people to the stadium. All the stadiums have been fantastic. All the people have been fantastic. And, and just being here in the Bastille region uh, or the Bastille neighborhood of Paris, I should say, uh, has been awesome um, to be for the last couple of weeks. I'll be here for a week longer, and then I'm off to Lyon, which hosts the semifinal and final, uh, which I was there last year for uh, the men uh, when they played a friendly against France before the France men went, to win on to, went on to win their World Cup uh, last summer. So it would be great to get back there, and hopefully this time I will get to watch our women's national team hoist their fourth major trophy, uh, or fourth World Cup trophy. So, uh Thank you, guys. If you guys are out there, you can follow me on Twitter at BlazingDW. You can follow the American Outlaws at American Outlaws on Twitter. We're providing all the content for that on that side of things. Um, uh, if you're into that, and especially I, I've, I've seen some Duke people here, too, um, which is great. It, it, a lot of Duke people made the trip last week to Paris in summer coming back for the quarterfinal should we face France here in Paris next Friday. So uh, with that, um, I, I will not bore you anymore with the soccer, but it has been an absolute thrill. Um, if you're in France at one of the games. Come find me. Say hi. Uh, otherwise, look for me on TV. Um, there's a lot of TV, lot of media coverage out there, and uh, we are at the center of it all. So thank you guys for letting me do this. And uh, to Jason, Sam, again, thanks for letting me facilitate this uh, from afar uh, while you guys sleep so that when you wake up, you have something to record. Can I just say I'm so jealous of Donald having the kind of life that he's able to do this. It's just really cool, and, and he's he's having a great time. And by the way, he he didn't mention it. Dude is all over the media. Like, he was on CNN International the other day. He was interviewed on some big-time podcast. Donald is like, he is representing the uh, U.S. fans over there in Paris beautifully. All right, Jason, what have you got for us? So, uh, folks, get out a pen and a piece of paper. I'm going to give you some stats I am all about the statistics, and because this podcast has been all about the draft, I'm all about stats about the draft. Duke has now broken a tie. It's a tie we are in with Kentucky for the most number one overall picks in the NBA draft. Duke has now had four guys drafted with the number one overall pick. 
It breaks a tie we had with Kentucky with they had three. We now have four. Hey, Sam, can you name all four of them? All four Duke number one picks? Yes. So we've got Zion Williamson. Yes. We've got Kyrie Irving. Yes. We've got Elton Brand. Yes. And we have Art Heyman. You are good. Nicely wow. done, sir. It's Nicely almost done. like it's almost like I talk about Duke basketball on the internet. Yes. So that's or one I read, stat. Or I, or I read it this week. <laughs> that's one stat. Here's another good one for you. Duke has now had a player selected in the top three in the NBA draft in six consecutive years. That's the longest streak of all time. The only other, t- uh, only other program that comes close is UCLA. Had that for four consecutive years back in the 1970s. Six straight years with a top three draft pick. That's crazy. That's just silly. Coach K has had now 41 guys, 41 first-round draft picks by Coach K. That's the most of anyone, any coach, any college coach in history. Number two is John Calipari with 35 and then Roy Williams with 30. But Coach K's 41 is the most ever. And Duke has now produced 28 lottery picks. That's the most ever by any college program. Kentucky has 26. North Carolina has 20. But Duke has 28 so those were just some of the numbers, some of the stats I wanted to give you of uh, how Duke has just owned the NBA draft for the past, oh, I don't know, 30 plus years since a certain guy named Shashevsky stepped foot on campus. Jason, those were, those were some pretty cool stats. Thank you, of course, as always, for bringing the numbers and the heat to the show. I am going to wrap up today by telling you about a visit that I made this weekend. So I mentioned before that I am in Seattle for the summer. I have some classmates who are uh, doing summer internships at Nike down in Beaverton, Oregon. And I was down there this weekend to visit some of them. And because they are Nike employees, they have access to the Nike employee apparel store. So I was in there uh, yesterday, Sunday. Uh, Sports fans, let me tell you, it is awesome going to the Nike Nike employee store. Unfortunately, no Duke apparel. They do have some limited Carolina apparel. That's all Jordan brand. So that was, that was a bummer, but um, I did get, I did get three pairs of shoes that are, that are pretty dope. So um, I got a, I got a pair of, uh, I don't even know what they're called, but I got three pairs of shoes. They were awesome. And uh, you should all have friends that work at Nike because, or you should just go work or just go work at Nike. It seems, it seems like a pretty cool place. So um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I am I'm having a good time out here for the summer. We might do another show, I guess, while I'm while I'm still out here. But uh, it'll be we'll be back to school before you know it. So I'll be back on campus to be you know reporting uh, live from the from the scene of the crimes that will be happening next year. I, or hopefully there will be no crimes, but you you understand the expression, right? So. So with that, I think we will wrap it up. Thanks again to Donald for uh, calling in from from overseas and and pre-recording his answers for us. Uh, that was that was a lot of fun, and and of course, good luck to the U.S. women's team, who I believe are headed into the the semifinals or the finals now. It, I I can't say that I keep up with it the same way that Donald does, but good luck to the U.S. women who are advancing right along in the World Cup. Uh, Jason Evans, of course, was here. Bird Campbell was sponsoring as always. And finally, I remain Sam Klein coming to you from Seattle, Washington. This has been Duke Basketball Report podcast episode 162, Duke Band 
take us home.